to do if we're offended. But in Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter comes and asks a question of the Lord himself. And Jesus responds by speaking to him a parable. And it's within these two thoughts, the questions that Peter asks, and then the parable that Jesus gives, that shows us a really powerful example of how we ought to treat offenses, uh, especially those offenses that are done toward us. Again, it pretty much brings to a, a conclusion, if you will, of these thoughts about offenses. Verse 21 of Matthew 18, it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Though we are called to live upon the mercy and the forgiveness of our sovereign and gracious Lord, as we know of ourselves, and I think we all probably know it's too common how slow we are to forgive the offenses that are done toward us. Jesus's answer to Peter's question, of course, is done in a masterful way. He doesn't just give a quick, unthoughtful response to Peter. He gives him a parable. Remember, parables were given so that believers would have a better understanding or a clearer understanding of what the Lord was speaking of. Not everyone would understand the parable, but the parable would be understood by those who know of this grace. They know of this sovereign mercy that God has bestowed upon them. But this parable that Jesus teaches also shows uh, just how unforgiving his servants can be. Now, there are three main things in this parable Uh, First of all, we're going to look at the master's compassionate mercy toward his servant's debt. 
And we're going to learn a little bit this morning about the debt of our sin and how great that debt is and was. We were not able to pay the debt that we owed. So we see what every sin deserves and the response of how this master deals with this servant. This is the wages of sin. And we're introduced to maybe a foreign concept to you this morning that this servant was to be sold as a slave. His entire family at first when he could not pay the debt. And that may seem strange to us today, but that was according to the custom and the justice of the day. So it's very fitting to what the, the servant or the master was going to do originally. But it is, by application already this morning, it's foolish of us when we are under the full conviction of our sin to think for a single moment that if we were given enough time that we would ultimately be able to pay the debt if we just had more time. Yet we'll see that that's what the servant who owed the debt thought was the answer to his problem. First of all was give me more time and I'll pay you what I owe you. Uh, there's a big problem with his thinking there. Secondly, we'll look at the servant's unreasonable severity. Now the servant's unreasonable severity is the servant who is ultimately and was recently forgiven his debt, but yet he responded to a fellow servant in severity almost ignoring or forgetting his Lord's mercy that had been shown to him. It is certainly a sin against God to aggravate a brethren's wrongful offense against us. But we do see, thirdly, that the Master reproved his servant's cruelty and reckoned the debt back to him, leaving him again owing a debt he could not pay. So prior to the Lord teaching of this parable, I want to view this question and this interaction between Peter and Jesus as sort of a foreword or a preface. Kind of as you open a new book, often there's a foreword in the book and there's a preface sometimes. It gives you an idea of what the book is about or what the story, what the narrative is. And again, to disconnect Peter's question from the parable would, to do a dis would be to do a disservice to the Scriptures. But Peter's question is asked with an attempt to measure the limits of mercy and forgiveness. What's the limit? How many times must I show mercy and how many times must I show forgiveness? In other words, what is that top? What is that limit? Or maybe better phrased, is there a limit? Is there a top to our <laughs> forgiveness? Our Lord Jesus Christ's answer and further teaching on this subject, it's startling and convicting to say the least. This parable will startle you, or at least it should, because of what Jesus is saying in this parable about offenses and what we are to do with them. So again, notice with me, we'll look at the preface or the foreword, which is verses 21 and 22, Peter's questioning of our Lord. Look again, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, Peter is the one who offers the measure of mercy. He says, till seven times. So Peter's question is appropriate. It's appropriate to the extent that he is asking about forgiveness. 
But primarily what Peter's question has done has opened up another opportunity for the Lord Jesus Christ to expand upon the removal of offenses, personal offenses and sin done unto us. A couple things I want you to take note of. First of all, Peter takes it for granted that he would forgive once. He takes it for granted he'd forgive even once. Bless seven times. Be careful that you don't take that for granted. We look at Peter and we say seven times. Now, folks, I want you to just let that number settle into your mind and your heart for just a moment. Let's say a person offending you seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All seven times you forgive them. We take for granted that we'll forgive once because depending upon the offense, we may not even grant forgiveness one time. Peter assumes that forgiving seven times will be nothing. And yet, Peter is much like you and I. He takes for granted that he would forgive and he only wants to know how far should I carry my forgiveness. In other words, Peter says, I'm willing to forgive out to seven times. I sat back in my chair and I said, wow, Peter is very bold. Peter is very forward in his levels of forgiveness because I sat, sat and thought to myself, would I forgive seven times? Doubtless, Peter thought he was demonstrating great compassion by offering to the Lord Jesus by even suggesting, Lord, I'm willing to forgive seven times. Now, we do know that Peter, from time to time, was known to put a measure on things. Remember, he told the Lord that he would not deny him three times. It won't deny you, Lord, and no, the Lord says, no, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Peter was saying, I'm not going to deny you a single time. And the Lord looked at Peter and said, no, you're not going to deny me once. You're going to deny me three times. So we do see Peter, again, not being too rough on Peter, uh, because I think we're all right there. Now, no doubt Peter probably felt that there was, he was going to need a great grace to endure a brother sinning against him seven times. But what is startling is Jesus suggests, Peter, even if, you sugge even if your suggestion of seven times was compassionate, it's not enough. Now, how many times in our Christian life do we measure our holiness our righteousness, our obedience by the number of times in which we've done it. How many times have you heard people say, I go to church every time the doors are open. I go to church three times a week. I go to church two times a week, four times, whatever, whatever the case is. Or, you know, I, I have forgiven. I pray three, four, five times a day. We're putting measures on things. Jesus is very clearly teaching Peter that there is not a measure of mercy to where I can give you a number that you stop at and say, okay, mercy stops here. Forgiveness stops here. Peter didn't go far enough. But again, I challenge us to think, how far do we go? You know, most times the offenses that are done towards us are very petty in comparison to the offense that we give to our Lord Jesus Christ every day. Most offenses of our brothers and sisters toward us are petty. They're small offenses. 
Our grievances towards one another oftentimes are not even centered on a real problem. They're centered on an irritation. How many of us even today have enough grace to forgive one time, much less seven? This is what Jesus' point is to Peter. Peter thought he was being very gracious by offering seven. Would we think that too? I've forgiven you seven times. That ought to be enough, Lord. Seven times? It's the number of completion in the Bible, right? If you look at numerology in the Scripture, seven, perfect number, it's complete. That should be all. The Lord says no. Jesus says unto him then, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now again, don't mistake this by saying that Jesus was saying, no, Peter, it's not seven times, it's 490 times. 490 times of forgiveness is, it is it's an impossible task, if you think about that. 490 times you're going to forgive? No, he's saying it should be unlimited on how many times we forgive. Our Lord is teaching Peter here and teaching us to forgive always and without a measure of your mercy and forgiveness. He sets no limit. He says, I say unto thee until seven times. Measured mercy and forgiveness is not according to the command here. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not measuring by how many times. Now, people have tried to read into this. And again, I think there's such a great danger in trying to read into the Scripture something that's not there. It is the, it is the, the deception of the age is to try to make the Scripture say something it doesn't say. And he is not trying to indicate that it's just this 490 times. There is no occasion to be very definite about these numbers when Jesus is clear intention here, and we'll see that based upon the uh, parable that he gives. There is no definite, finite number that he means. What Jesus is teaching Peter here is that we should make such a small account of offenses toward us And we don't spend the time counting how many times have I forgiven. Or should we ever use this number as a way of measuring or giving ourselves a badge or patting ourselves on the back of our own personal holiness and righteousness? And as God is our witnesses this morning, we've all done this. We've all said, if it's not in our mouth, we've said it in our heart, we've said it in our mind, Lord, you know how many times I've forgiven that brother. You know how many times I've forgiven that sister. And we act like it's a badge of honor. And Jesus says, I told you, don't count the offenses. And don't use it as a badge of your righteousness because you forgave them a thousand times. You still haven't gone far enough. Let me just ask you a personal question this morning. Would you want the Lord's mercy and forgiveness with you limited or topped at 490 times? You violated that within the first week after your salvation. Think about it for a moment. We don't want God's measure, we don't want His mercy measured against us. And yet we as mere humans who are not God think that we can put a limit on our forgiveness. So that leads us into Jesus saying, there's that word, therefore. Connected thoughts. Jesus makes this statement until 70 times 7. He doesn't say, Peter, do you understand what I just said to you? No, he immediately launches into a parable. 
And he tells us the parable of the unmerciful servant. And he says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Or he would look into or reckon what that servant was doing. So this is that first heading of the master's compassionate mercy towards his servant's debt. The kingdom of heaven again is brought to the forefront. And don't forget that this is the key of the gospel of Matthew. In every kingdom, there must be a king. In every kingdom, there has to be a court of justice. And in every kingdom, there is a time for judgment to all those who are under the rule of that king. That's what Jesus has in mind by beginning this parable. He's talking about a kingdom. He's talking about his kingdom. That his kingdom is the place where justice is meted out. Where his kingdom is the one that ultimately is the judge. Goes along with the principle biblically, judge nothing before it's time. Judge nothing before it's time doesn't mean that you're going to be the ultimate judge. It means that one day all actions of every person who's ever lived are going to be judged. And yet, here, our Lord is teaching Peter how this king reckons the accounts of his servants. Christ is the certain king in the parable who is taking account of his servants. Now, in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ, of course, if he never called the unbelieving world into his throne room, he would call his servants to give an account of what they did with what they were given. So verse 24 tells us that this certain king, again the parable of the master, had begun to reckon, he's taken account, he's looking into the servants. One, that's a servant, was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now again, these are not in our American dollar terms, and sometimes we're, we don't pay close attention to these numbers. We read it and we say, do I really need to know what a pence is? Do I really need to know what a talent is? We don't use talents in America. We don't use pence. It doesn't really matter. Well, here's what you need to know about dollar amounts and value. 10,000 talents was an immense amount for any person to owe a king. Some have, have said, again, we are not going to dig into this this deeply, but some have commented on this that 10,000 talents was the equivalent to at least $2 million in our monetary system today. That's at the low end. If you take it all into consideration, the point is not, okay, is it 1 million talents, 2 million talents? Is it $50,000? What is the case? It was an immense amount of money that no servant could ever pay. Again, don't look at the definite tops. Okay, if I owe 9,000 talents, no problem. No, 10,000, he's saying it's an immeasurable amount that this servant owes him. It was a debt that could not be paid. It was an overwhelming, immeasurable, incalculable amount of money that was owed. Now notice how soon the master or the king took notice of this debt as soon as he began to reckon. He noticed it immediately. He knew there's a debt. My servant owes me an overwhelming debt. It's too big to be hidden. Most likely it was a debt that is so large that it was a notorious debt. People knew about it. 
The debtor was brought down before his Lord, it says in verse 25, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him. Okay, we'll see that in verse 25, but verse 24, he's brought unto him which owed him the 10,000 talents. So the servant is standing before the master with this immeasurable debt. Notice he's, he is brought down to give an account. He's brought bound before his Lord. One commentator put it this way, he was most likely bound in chains, but his debt was his strongest chain. He was bound by the debt, 10,000 talents. If we owed that ourselves personally, that would be nothing compared to the burden of our sin towards our God. The debt of sin we owe to our Lord is immeasurable. When we talk about verses like for the wages of sin is death, we're not talking about just something that slightly puts us away. We're talking about an immeasurable debt that there is absolutely positively nothing we could do to remove that debt. See, we like to put things in numbers that we can grab onto. The wages of your sin, the wages of my sin, the debt that I owed to our king is immeasurable. following question should humble us and we answer the question ourselves how much do we owe our lord for our own personal sin if it was reckoned and counted right now if we were not saved by his glorious grace and we were called into question and he brought us before him and he says give an account of your debt how much would we owe Ten thousand talents wouldn't even touch it wouldn't even be close to enough. It's an immeasurable, unpayable debt. That's what this servant had. Unpayable. So, as a result, as I mentioned to you, this is common. This was the common custom and the common way justice was carried out if a servant could not pay the debt that he owed. This is not something out of the ordinary. Jesus is talking about something that was very common in that day. But for as much as he had not to pay, notice that, he had not, he had nothing to pay, his Lord commanded him, that's the servant, to be sold. And his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. As a servant, if you could not pay the debt you owed to your master, you were sold, your wife was sold, your children was sold, everything you owned was sold, and then a payment was made. The point here is, is even after all that was sold, the servant still could not pay the debt. It still came to nothing. This would be like writing a check to the United States government to go against our national debt. And you still wouldn't touch it. If you wrote a check to the government for $10 million, it's like a penny. So everything you and I try to pay, is, it's valueless, it's worthless. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. 
The selling, the, and by the way, the master had the right to do this to the servant. He was not out, he was not stepping outside of his boundaries. This was the common rule of justice. This is how you were handled if you could not pay your debt. They were sold and cast away. The debtor was brought in, the immense debt was there. He commanded him to be sold. The debtor was penniless, had nothing to pay. The creditor takes possession of the man, commands him to be sold, everything put together, does nothing to the debt. Now, what Jesus is not doing here is he is not justifying the act of the Lord in the story. He is using this simply and using the custom of the day as part of the parable. We should be thankful today that that is not how our sin is dealt with to make payment. When you couldn't pay that immeasurable debt that your wife, your children, everything you owed is sold. Unoffending children in that particular sense are suffering because of their father's debt. The servant was indeed in a sad state when he had nothing remain of his own. You see what happened to the servant? He's brought to nothing. We come to God with nothing. How many times do we say that at this church? We have nothing to bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. No payment can I bring for my sin. Nothing can I bring to my Lord that makes me acceptable before Almighty God. This servant was brought to a place where he had nothing to pay, yet by the king's order, payment was to be made. This man, of course, is a, in a wretched state, to say the least. Verse 26, the servant responds by doing something, and there's a couple things with what he does. First thing he does is certainly appropriate. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him. He couldn't pay, but he could humble himself. He couldn't pay, but he could humble himself. He fell down and worshipped him. Now the second part, not so much. Because notice what he says. He says, he, he falls down, worships him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. It seems pretty strange that this man who has nothing has access to nothing, begs for time. Have patience with me. And he makes a promise that if you give me time, Lord, I will fulfill my obligations if I have extra time. The promise was not worth the breath in which he spoke it. Was time going to solve this man's problem? Was patience going to solve this man's problem? Would he be able to pay the debt if the Lord was patient with him or he gave him more time? It's a very common thing for people to make, any, make very light things of a earthly debt that they owe. Somebody owes a debt to someone else and what's the common request? Just give me more time. As if time is going to solve the problem. With regard to our sinful condition, would time solve our problem before the Lord? No. Could you, if you were given more time, come up with the payment required to make the necessary payment for your sin to the Lord just because you had time? No. 
You see, Jesus is teaching, it's not a matter of time. It's not a matter of me having patience with you in this regard. You need something from me that you cannot provide. And that's what we find in verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. The servant didn't need time. The servant didn't need patience. He needed compassion. He needed the kindness of his master. It seems strange that he couldn't see this. It seems strange that instead of saying, Lord, be compassionate, indeed, he makes a resolution to do better. Many a sinner has acknowledged his sin and then said, Lord, just give me time. He didn't need time. He needed forgiveness. The only answer to that servant's problem was to have the debt forgiven. Guess what the only need that we have before God in our sin is? Forgiveness. Not time. Not even patience in a sense. It's a well-known fact that men often never see their true sinful condition before the Lord as they continue to perceive that I'm just missing something. I just need time. But it's the Lord in verse 27, the master who's moved with compassion. And notice, not only is he moved with compassion, he loosed him and forgave him the debt. Friends, you realize this is what Jesus Christ did for you when he saved you. He was moved with compassion. He loosed you from the, the, bind, the binds of sin and the bounds and the chains of sin. And he forgave the debt that you owed that you couldn't pay. You see, humility and prayer did prevail here. The Lord of that servant was such a king. The debtor received far more than he asked for. The debtor just asked for time. But the, the Lord, the master, gave him something far more than time. He gave him forgiveness. Sadly, many men, women come before God. They don't have a full sense of what they really need. They hear the call of the Lord. They hear the call to repent. They hear the call to believe. And they say, Lord, I, I just need more time. The heart of the master was touched. His whole being was moved with compassion and the penniless debtor was released. His debt was forgiven him. The Lord forgave him. And we know what this means. This was indeed divine kindness. There could be nothing greater done for you and I than what was done for us when the Lord Jesus Christ released us from the debt that we owed. Have you thought upon that? Have you ever put yourself into this parable and just thought for a minute, Lord, this was me. This servant was me. We could get, we could get really deep into a lot of theological, deep theology and doctrine. And I'm not saying it's not important, but this morning, I want you just to look at this in the perspective. Do you see yourself in this parable? This was you and I. This was Peter. 
You have no idea how much your sin cost and what that debt really is. When we try to make sin just some little thing that we owe to God, oh yeah, the wages of my sin is death. Yet this servant needed something only the master could give him. Now just like we always read stories and we think, boy, when you pick up a book and you see something bad happen, you hope that now the story takes this great turn and this person goes on to be a great mighty servant of God. Now again, he's telling a parable, so there's some things we need to point out here. Immediately, verse 28 says, but the same servant, this is the one that was just forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now, he doesn't have any of his own servants. He is not a master or a lord over anyone. That's why it's very clear that it's a fellow servant. It's a man of equal rank, equal position, equal state, which owed him a hundred pence. This is like that penny compared to the national debt. It's nothing. It's petty. He doesn't even speak to him first. He laid hands on him. Took him by the throat. That's not a sign of love, folks. You don't grab someone by the throat in mercy, and you don't grab them by the throat in compassion. You only grab them by the throat in viciousness and cruelty. He grabs a fellow servant who he owns no rights to. You and I own no rights to one another. You and I do not have the choice of saying, I'll deal with my fellow servant however I want to. You can't. You don't own the rights to them. You're not the master. We are all fellow servants. Pastors, elders don't have the right to grab you by the throat and demand of you as anything more. You are fellow servants. How that's been misused. He grabs him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. This same servant who was with, by compassion graciously forgiven, but notice his attitude has not changed at all. He went from being a lowly beggar to now a vicious tyrant. By the way, that's not biblical Christianity. He goes out from the presence of his merciful Lord, his compassionate Lord, not expressing his thanksgiving, not expressing gratitude. He finds a fellow servant, not his servant, not even his inferior, but one who was equal and his companion in service. Man owes me a hundred pence. We would expect that the man would have learned the compassion and mercy shown to him that he would forgive such a tiny debt. If that man truly understood what forgiveness really was, if that fellow servant had owed him 10,000 talents, if he really understood what happened to him, he would have forgiven the debt of 10,000 talents. This forgiven individual, nothing changed. He would have no patience with him. 
We would expect him to be compassionate, but no, he lays his hands on him, violently takes him by force. He was afraid that the man would get away without paying his debt, demands him. He would have no patience. Think about the imagery of the hand on the throat. You grab a throat to take the life out of him. He's all but saying, you don't pay me, I'm taking your life. The debt was nothing. And as I've said, 99.9% of our offenses against each other, personal offenses, are nothingness. And they do not matter at all. And yet we hold each other by the throat like they have committed the worst sin of all time. There are Christians who are eaten up with so much bitterness over a petty offense that doesn't matter. My feelings are hurt. They might be. But in the scope of the debt that we owe and that we owed, is it really anything? No, it's not. Now, does that give us a right to go around being petty and give offense? No, we've learned we're not supposed to offend each other. That's why this all goes together. Matthew 18 is one continuous narrative on the removing of offenses and not offending one another and forgiving. Some of you have told me, you didn't even realize that, that all of Matthew 18 was one continuous thought. Because sadly, we've broken it up in churches and something preaches well and the other part doesn't preach so well. That's why we've gone through it verse by verse because it doesn't make sense unless you look at it as a whole. But notice this servant again. The debt was small, but the claim that he required was vicious. Oftentimes we make these small offenses and we press upon them much too hard and we make them more severe than what they really are. The servant who had just been forgiven did not even have patience for a single minute. Nevertheless, did he even think about granting one instance of forgiveness? He just said, pay me that thou owest. I am certainly glad that the Lord Jesus Christ did not look at me and say, pay me what you owe me. What would you tell him? With what? See these hands? They're empty. I have nothing to give you to pay. What right did he have to be choking his Lord's servant? Remember, this was a fellow servant owned by the same master. What right did he have to take out that on another who belonged to his Lord? He was injuring the one who belonged to a king. Folks, I don't think we take seriously enough that when we offend one another, you are offending one of God's children. I'm telling you, if we have that attitude and that mindset towards one another, we're going to be really careful about offending each other and we'll be really careful about being unforgiving. And don't sit here on a Sunday morning and say, this unforgiveness thing's not a problem for me. That is from the pit of your own selfish, sinful pride to say, this is not a problem for me. 
It's a problem for every single one of us sitting here today and those who aren't seated here today saying, I'll forgive anything. I'm just that holy. No, you're not. We're supposed to be, but we're not like we should be. We should, we're not what we really want to be. I'm not trying to be cute this morning. We're not what we should want to be. And yet, notice that the fellow servant now, which owed him a hundred pence, fell down at his feet, besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee. Does that sound familiar? His fellow servant that he dealt with roughly used the same language that he used with the king previously. The lowly beggar earlier who used that same language with the Lord, now the fellow servant uses the same language with him and he doesn't even think about granting it. It ought to have startled that tyrant when he heard his own plea for patience and mercy addressed to himself. You'd think that would have opened his eyes wide and say, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing being unforgiven who's been forgiven of so much? What am I doing? Word for word, what I said to my Lord, the posture was exactly the same. He fell down at his feet. And yet, he had no compassion, no mercy to give. Now, this fellow servant makes the same poor promise that he made to the Lord, I will pay thee all. I firmly believe that that fellow servant, just like the servant who had been forgiven, didn't have a hundred pence to give. I don't think they could have made the payment of a hundred pence. But the point is not the, how much the pence or how large the talent, but the principles here. And notice, surely he would give the same answer as his Lord had granted him. No, he was of a wicked spirit. His Lord was a king, and yet he acted in a, in a role that he did not, could not claim. We're out of time this morning. We, need, we really needed to continue, but we're going to have to stop. But I want you to think about and meditate upon that next verse, because I think this is the whole key to it in verse 30. After this fellow servant asked for mercy and asked for patience, it says that he would not. It wasn't that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't. Again, not to give account to things, but if I could tell you how many times someone has said those exact words to me, Pastor, I can't forgive. And I do not mean to make them mad when I say it. I don't think it's that you cannot. I think that you won't. People don't like biblical counsel often, but that's the truth. It's not that we can't. It's that we won't. Because we are too proud to admit it and too proud to grant forgiveness. And it's only when you remember the debt that you owed that you'll ever be brought to a place where you can and will forgive. May God help us understand these truths this morning. We're going to skip our closing hymn this morning and just go to the Lord in prayer.